0: Welcome to Tips from the Field, a Memphis Association of Black Journalists podcast. My name is Kelly Cook, president of MABJ, and we're so excited that you dropped in on this episode. We're bringing you clips from our February meeting called Clubhouse TikTok and Fleets. It's a fantastic discussion, and I'm sure you'll enjoy
1: it. Hey, everyone, this is Brandy, your MABJ student liaison and podcast producer. And this episode is going to be a little different than our previous episode. So if you are a member of MABJ, you know that we meet monthly throughout the year. And at every meeting, we host conversations about different topics that can range from how to take care of yourself as a journalist or media professional to hearing from subject matter experts on how to work with them in covering the news in Memphis. And if you haven't joined us in a meeting, we wanted to give you an opportunity to listen in on some of the conversations we're having. Like Kelly said, this meeting was in February 2021, and we talked about some of the newer social media platforms and features and how we can use them for work and our vice president of print El Perry is moderating this conversation. And you're going to be hearing from our panelists who are working journalists and media professionals, and we'll have a list of the panelists in the show notes, but they're talking about how they use the different platforms and some of the, their best practices and tips. So here we go.
2: Have y'all are any of the panelists, are y'all using TikTok personally? I'm not that cool for TikTok. I appreciate them, though. I just do not have (laughs) the patience to uh, make them. But I will say, I think, um, I know for me as a journalist, I use Instagram stories a lot. That, to me, is like my version of TikTok. I can handle that genre. But I know I've seen more news organizations like NBC News uh, using Instagram stories to draw viewers into their stories for that night for nightly news or just in general. So I think that's something that I know I'm diving into as a journalist is trying to use Instagram stories. And I did a Facebook training, I think, last November with NEBJ. It was like the NEBJ regional. And the instructor had a great point. He was like, if you're using Instagram stories to promote your story, use the fonts that are already on Instagram. Like, don't try to make it look newsy. Make it look like an Instagram story. So use hashtags, use the little gifs, you know, use the things that people expect to see on Instagram stories. So I thought that was such a great tip that I never thought of.
0: I think the Washington Post, uh, TikTok, Person, the person in charge of that, he does a really good job of keeping people engaged and using TikTok.
2: I'm Twitter all the time. Uh, The younger people in the newsroom, and let me just state, I'm 53. So the younger people in the newsroom are doing TikTok. I haven't ventured over there yet either, Kristen. Um, We're the still the Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, and a lot of Facebook. And I don't know about you all, but. I think Facebook is the bane of my existence. And if I didn't have to be on there for my job, I wouldn't be on there other than posting maybe sunsets and cat pictures.
3: In our office, it's a little different because
2: we aren't the news,
3: but we do have news that we um, we have to get out. And social media allows organizations um, the power to get their own stories out. And so very early, or not very early, but in about a, seven, eight months ago um, in the pandemic, we started talking about I'm using TikTok as an organization to help get out just some quick um, videos on how to wear your mask correctly, as well as how to sanitize your mask. Um, The fact that you should be sanitizing your mask um, between wears. And we chose TikTok because um, the demographic does skew younger, um, pre-pandemic and even now.
0: I've seen Bloomberg does a really good job with their fleets. There's a parody Bloomberg account. And sometimes they'll like, it's like Bloomberg without context, and they'll share some of their stuff kind of you know because it's funny but um so I've, i'm seeing reporters reshare their stories just to make sure people have seen them or tweet the they sports i think i've seen a lot of sports people use them but just wondering if people on the panel if y'all do fleets or y'all saw good examples that y'all want to share
4: sounds like another job to me <laughs> <laughs>
0: It really is. I promise. Like literally, the only way I use fleets is like if there's if there's like an event that I'm moderating or on a panel of, and I tweeted it, then I will share that just on fleets. Or if there's a story that I've I really I'm really proud of, then I you know fleet that. Or you know um, my colleagues' work, um, or just something interesting that I think people should really notice. Um, then I just fleet that. It's really easy, I swear it is. And then, like like uh, Elle said, like it stays on there for 24 hours, I believe, like a story, an Instagram story, and a lot of people see it. More people than, uh, yeah, people see it and sometimes interact with what I fleet.
3: So I want to chime in here, and I'm trying so hard not to put my marketing hat on, <laughs> but Go I ahead. can't. I can't help myself. Um, That's That's my
1: problem, too, right?
3: (laughs) But, you know, one thing that I think can get lost is that the, the broadcast news, their goal, their objective is to make money. And so they want to get advertisers, which is the reason why they want you all on all of these various platforms, because where they have an audience, a captured audience on a platform, they have a pitch that they can make to organizations um, for, you know, sponsored ads, sponsored content, etc. And so really, I think that um building up your your brands on these platforms is beneficial to the organization and it's also beneficial to your personal brand because it's an opportunity to say You know, when I go live, they know I've got juicy content, um, and they're going to tune in because they know I have something great to say. I think it gets a little difficult if the directive is to basically saturate the market. And so we've seen that over the last few years where everything is urgent. Everything is breaking news. I don't even pay attention to the phrase breaking news anymore because it doesn't mean anything anymore. Um, it's just, you know, a, a cue to get people to tune in. But what I do think is an opportunity, um, just as I listen to you all talk, is um using social media as a teaser and using the real six news, the five P news, the nine, 10 P news, using that as the actual story. And I think that because of really um, the consumer consumers um, behaviors, I think that you guys really just put it all out there on social media, and so it's really begging the audience to go and watch the same story again at five or six. Maybe it includes an additional quote, but the culture has shifted um, during this time to where you know. the the whole story is told right when it's happening um, because the consumer's perspective is I want it now. And I think the media's perspective is if I don't give it to them now, then our competing station or our competing paper is just gonna give it to them now. So I'll I'll lose, you know, either way. One of the challenges that you all know if you talk to your digital directors is these
4: algorithms that all these social media platforms have now, now formed, right? And even if we gave part of the story in the teaser, particularly on Facebook or Instagram now, which we know they are the same ownership group, is your your those who are your followers or your friends aren't going to see that story necessarily in time to go watch the six o'clock or the five o'clock news. And so what we've kind of started to look at it as from a brand loyalty builder, instead of a like, here's how I get you to watch us at five or six. Twitter is probably gonna be the best uh, place to get people to get that instant, hey, we're gonna react to it uh, beforehand, but IG and and Facebook really, they they actually punish a lot of us for the different things that we do on social media because we're again not driving them to their platforms, we're driving them to another platform. And it's something that a lot of our digital folks uh, from the corporate level, I'm sure at Cox and at Gray and all the other places are doing, are really like trying to work with them and say, look, we wanna be on your platforms, but if you keep punishing us, it's really gonna cause a challenge for us and we may have to find some other ways to do it. so what I tell my team is, it's really about building those relationships, uh, oftentimes like so in the instance of snow that's coming, you're not going to be able to get the totals or how much snow right instantly on or if, the, if, if it's happening now, you're going to turn to the TV. But if I don't build that relationship with you beforehand, you may just be flipping around trying to figure out okay well who can I listen to. I know. Danielle was part of the Shelby County government
0: did a kind of basically a town hall thing. And if you wouldn't mind talking about that.
3: Yeah, so I am a huge fan of Clubhouse, but for, you know, very probably unique reasons. Clubhouse is great for boundaries. And so I'm someone who, you know, I'm doing this on a Saturday because this is for my own personal joy. I love MABJ, but like I don't work on, I do not do work on Saturdays because my job requires that I work Monday through Friday. So I go hard Monday through Friday. And on Saturdays and Sundays, it's got to be an emergency. So I'm very, very strong, um, strongly in favor of boundaries. And Clubhouse is an environment where you can check in and check out as you want. And that's even in the middle of the discussion itself, which is so beautiful. If you, I'm a single mom. And so if I have to stop and I can't, if I'm uh, uh, moderating a panel on or moderating a discussion on Clubhouse, if I have to stop, if we have two other moderators, I can step back. Somebody else can take it on. I can deal with my child. So I just love it. Love it for that reason. But we actually had a team member um, in our office who had followed a Kwanzaa chat um, that I did along with Commissioner Sawyer um, and then a few other people um, in the community. And we did a Kwanzaa chat every night um, all throughout um, the week of the seven days of Kwanzaa. And it was fantastic. And he just suggested that we do this um, town hall around some legislation that we wanted to get passed. And I thought it was a great idea um, to give him his full credit. His name is Gavin Mosley. Um, But um, I thought it was a great idea because we um, are accustomed to exhausting our union partners, our nonprofit partners, the people in the community that are really tuned in to what we're doing. Blah blah blah. We're accustomed to reaching out to them and saying, "Hey, this is really important. We want you involved." And we're accustomed to have to having them have our backs, and that's great, and it can feel good. But like in this situation, I was trying to get a 2.5 million dollar um, bill passed. It was my own um, my own project that I was working on, so I was intimately involved with it on behalf of the mayor, and. I didn't just need these people that supported us because it was us, I needed people who supported this because it was this. And so I forced our group to think through like, how do we engage additional people to come on board and supported this or tell us what we need to do to make it better, and so he suggested that we go on Clubhouse because it would be a unique audience. We could narrowly tailor it to Memphians if we wanted to. Um, so we put, I think, in the title of the of the Clubhouse room or chat or whatever it's called. I don't know the lingo, y'all, but we put in the title um, that we were that this was about a Memphis um, or a Shelby County legislation, um, so that people that didn't want to tune into something Memphis specific didn't have to, because we had audiences from all over, and then people. Came in the room, and we didn't just talk about that legislation because I strongly believe believe in um, give tape, and so we also use it as an opportunity to educate people about the process of engaging politically at the local level.
0: I actually wrote down some uh, um, some notes for you all uh, when it comes to using Clubhouse as a journalist. So for me, I thought of it like this: you can use Clubhouse in two ways—to teach or to learn. Um, so to teach. You know, you can think about what will be benefit for your followers, your audience. Um, um, Is there a passion project that you're working on or that you have worked on? And say you want to teach other reporters how to do the same, uh, the same thing. Or maybe you want to help your local community members um, that you already know on Clubhouse on how to engage with the media. Also, be organized. So have your first event be no longer than an hour. Keep it short and sweet. Be purposeful. Introduce yourself briefly. um, State your objective and purpose for the event. Set norms. That's important, right? Um, You can see I used to be a teacher, right? (laughs) all this stuff. Um, Let your audience know how to engage in the room respectfully. And also make sure you give room for other people to speak. So there could be dialogue. I've I've been in rooms where it's just like the the panelists that are speaking and they don't allow people in the audience to speak. Can we, um, Kirsten, um, I, want, I definitely wanna bring in your experience with Clubhouse because um, I was in that that room that you did and that was great.
2: Thank you, yeah, I found Clubhouse to be, I'm chiming in on what everyone's saying, it is very intimate um, and I feel like the conversations you have are meaningful because it isn't a video platform. Um, with Clubhouse, you can actually close out of the app and still listen to the audio, which I think is cool. So I've been on Clubhouse rooms like cleaning and doing other stuff, just listening like, oh, okay, that's what I can do. you know, you're just doing other stuff. And when you do chime in, you feel a little bit more free because again, you aren't seeing someone. Um, But what is weird is because you can't see someone. You don't know when someone's finished. I've been in some rooms where you're like, oh, hey, oh, uh, uh," you know, that thing. Uh, But no, the room Elle was talking about, I hosted a room, my first one, right before the right after the year started like june or january 3rd 4th about protecting your peace mental health and journalism because a week before that i happened to be in a room with a bunch of journalists who had actually transitioned out of traditional news and gone to pr and one person said you know one thing that might have kept me in the business was learning how to process trauma better while i was a journalist and it made me think well I do love this career. I'm still in it. I believe I'll be in it for decades to come, God willing. But I do acknowledge that trauma is real. So to me, we were able to host a room. I had two print journalists, uh, two broadcasts, and actually one of the broadcast journalists, she is one of those who transitioned out of traditional news, but still does storytelling. And then one of my friends, he's a therapist in Charlotte. So I had him come on up and what was great was we had people interacting in different ways. And then one of the panelists became this therapist I hadn't met before. She popped in the room and she chimed in and I was like, hey, you had this great insight. Can you just hop on the panel real quick and stay with us and keep talking to us about your experience? And what I like about Clubhouse is that whether it's five people or 50, you do feel this sense of connection with people. And I will say Clubhouse to me is really good as a journalist in terms of getting to kind of It's not necessarily knowing, I'm not getting story ideas from this, but I am getting context. Like I've been in a couple of Memphis rooms. I feel like we've been in a couple where um, one Memphis room I was in, the question was what does Memphis need and how do we get it? And it was anything. People said, we need more rooftop bars. That's fair. Someone else said, we need a better connection to nonprofits. And I mentioned um, as an outsider looking in, you know, I've been here two years, but I'm not a Memphian. I'm not born and bred here. I told the group, you know, to me, what I've noticed is there are a lot of people doing the work already, but there's no communication. Like, I wish a parent in North Memphis knew all the North Memphis outlets. Like, we know them as reporters, but do the North Memphis families know that? And so it was great to chime in, and people were talking about those kind of um, things they'd like to see in Memphis. So to me, that was fulfilling in terms of that context. Um, but then also connections. So, that therapist I mentioned who popped into my uh, clubhouse room. I connected with her immediately on on Instagram, because again, her profile, when you pop up the app, you can link directly to someone's Instagram and Twitter, which again, I think we all agreed Facebook is not where we live, but we live on social media. We live on Twitter and Instagram. And I connected with her, sent a quick DM and said, hey, what's the best contact for you? Because I definitely want to have you on a call, either for like MAVJ, I was already thinking about that, or even my newsroom, because I was like, we need to do more newsroom dialogues about mental health and sustaining that. So to me, I love that connection. And the topics aren't always this deep. Like there are a couple of rooms about Real Housewives of Potomac, okay? Like, let's be real, I enjoy those too. It's foolish, (laughs) it's extra. Um, But even uh, you can also follow topics. I think that's what something we did mention. This isn't just following people, but I follow like a plant group. I follow um, one that's just black women or black girl magic. And one of the groups that popped up was black people who bike. I'm an avid indoor cyclist. I love it. It's grown since the pandemic and I want to buy an outdoor like off-road bike. And so I hopped into this room and I was like, hey, y'all, I don't know what I'm doing. Please help. And instantly, again, people who I don't know were just dropping gems. Oh, check this website out. Check this thing out. You can do this. You know, your budget needs to be that and it was so helpful and it's all this free advice that at times I feel like I should be paying for this and I'm like we're just giving this stuff away from free. So to me that's clubhouse it's this weird medium of connections uh, that may not translate to stories, but it does translate into resource, uh, so I think for us, we can use clubhouse um, but as to Laura's point I wish there was a way to branch it out, but I think that's still to be determined. Um, But I also feel like this is a pandemic era phenomenon, too, because I promise you, if outside was open, I probably wouldn't be on Clubhouse. But I think because outside is still closed, Clubhouse is really doing well, because I think we're all missing that sense of connection and live connection, too. So we're all in this room live. I may not see you, but I feel you. Like, we're both whether it's five of us or 50, we're all in that room together, hypothetically. So I think that's also why Clubhouse is growing is that sense of instant connection with somebody.
3: Wow, that was
0: great. Thank you again to our fantastic panelists. Don't forget to check out our webpage at www.mabjtn.org and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Until next time,